0: Hi, this is Erica Potter.
1: And this is Hunter Willis.
0: And this is Hot Girl Briefing.
1: Hey, Erica. Hey, Hunter. What country are we going to be talking about today on our country analysis?
0: We are going to be talking about Ethiopia, which if you guys didn't know, is in the northern part of Africa.
1: Okay, okay. So, Erica, do you want to give us a bit of background, just jumping in straight into Ethiopia? What's it about? What's the background of it? how can we, how can we kind of see how Ethiopia came to be?
0: Yeah. So actually Ethiopia is the second most populous country in all of Africa, which super cool. Mm -hmm. And they are super unique because they are the only African country that was able to avoid colonial rule. There was a short little Italian occupation, like just for five years from 1936 to 1941. But you know other than but it that, wasn't like, so
1: much like colonial it was more of just like military occupation
0: yeah it was yeah it was an illegal occupation they weren't necessarily like under their rule like some mm-hmm. of their neighbors were they were definitely okay. fighting it so um but again it was literally like 5 years but other than that like ethiopian like government monarchy has maintained its freedom or has maintained its freedom throughout its inception which I was so surprised to find a country out there that has not been <laughs> colonized, mm-hmm. especially like Ethiopia is such a big country. Like, of course, other countries are going to want to get like a slice of it. So,
1: yeah, I mean, unless it's like a very like European country, like nearly every country at some point has been colonized, especially, I mean, in the Western hemisphere, there's always been some colonization going on Africa. You're seeing something similar and even in Asia as well. So. Yeah, that is really interesting that Ethiopia managed to never be colonized in its whole history.
0: Yeah, and Ethiopian monarchy had like stayed a monarchy like from, again, its inception until 1974. But then there was a military junta, the Derg. He deposed Emperor Haile Selassie, who had been ruling since 1930. And they actually established a socialist state after that. But then, you know- as countries change over time, they experienced coups, uprisings, wide-scale drought, large refugee problems, just to name a few, and a coalition of rebel forces in 1991 known as the Ethiopian People's Revolutionary Democratic Front, the EPRDF, toppled the regime, adopted a constitution in 1994, and then Ethiopia held its first multi-party elections in 1995. So yeah, they're... Uh, They're a democratic country as of now, but Hunter, do you want to talk about, you know, some of the other backgrounds, some of the issues they've been facing as a now democratized country?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there was a border war with Eritrea in the late 1990s. However, it ended with a peace treaty in December 2000. And then in November 2007, there was the Eritrea and Ethiopia Border Commission, The EEBC that was issued specific coordinates virtually demarcating the border. And they said its work was finished. So essentially, you know, all of that got wrapped up right there. It was alleged that the EEBC acted beyond its mandate in issuing the coordinates. So Ethia did not accept this. And then they maintained troops in previously contested areas that the Border Commission had said belonged to Eritrea. And then obviously, you know, this is going to lead to tension. So we saw some tension rising and some tension staying there over the years. Then in August 2012, you had the long-term leader, Prime Minister Meles Zenawi. He died in office and was, pre- was replaced by his deputy prime minister, Halemariam Deselen. And this was the first peaceful transition of power in decades. So way to go, Ethiopia. Y'all done did it and we love to see it. And following much popular dissent and anti-government, we saw that there were some protests that began in 2015, where Hela Miriam resigned in 2018, and Abiy Ahmed Ali, he took office in 2018 as Ethiopia's first ethnic Oromo prime minister. In 2018, Abiy announced that Ethiopia would accept the border ruling of 2000, which Prompted reproachment between Ethiopia and Eritrea that was marked with a peace agreement in 2018 and reopened the border in September 2018. So we're seeing that that border finally gets resolved after all of these years. We're seeing that there was this peaceful transition of power, and in November 2019, Ethiopia's nearly 30-year ethnic-based ruling coalition, the EPRDF, they, they all merged into a single unity party called the Prosperity Party. However one of the four constituent parties, the Tigray People's Liberation Front, the TPLF, refused to join. And in November, 2020, a military conflict started between Ethiopia's national military, the Ethiopian National Defense Force, and the TPLF. And this conflict continued into 2020 and it's exasperated ethnic violence and is largely centered in the Tigray, Amara, and Afar regional states.
0: Yeah, so that conflict between the Tigray People's Liberation Front and the, uh, and then the rest of Ethiopia basically has still continued to this day. Um, and so that's kind of really the only conflict that Ethiopia's got going on right now. They're kind of just like minding their business over there, mm-hmm. just like prospering and tr- probably trying to get through COVID just like the rest of us. So yeah. <laughs> let's get into a little bit of like what exactly – like we talked about it being a bigger country. Let's let's get into the area. The area is approximate as a large portion of the Ethiopia and Somalia border is like really undefined. So can't pinpoint exactly where and when the lines end, but it is approximated to be slightly less than twice the size of Texas, which like Texas is like one of the biggest states in the United States. Mm-hmm. I feel like normally our all of our country analysis, they've been like small states, like Kentucky or Maryland or something. So- Mm -hmm. It's a pretty intensive, you know, amount of land and there is no coastline. Ethiopia is completely landlocked. So as they have no coastline, they have no maritime claims, which I think reduces conflict a lot. Like when there aren't countries fighting over bodies of water and imaginary lines in those bodies of water yeah
1: exactly because i mean you're seeing most of the conflict in a lot of these countries stemming from the exclusive economic zones that go like 200 nautical miles out into the sea and so when you don't have those imaginary lines and you have more concrete lines which like even though ethiopia's borders are not completely defined they are better defined than they would be in bodies of water where all these lines are merging over top one another. So it makes it a little bit easier for them. But yeah, like you were saying, Erica, they are the 13th largest in population size in the entire world. There's over 113 million people living in Ethiopia and it's mostly an agricultural country. So you're seeing a lot of farming. It has a high population growth, which is number 25 in the world with a growth rate of 2.46%. And you're seeing that the birth rate is extremely high. So the birth rate is 30.49 births per every thousand people. So that puts it at number 29 in the world and it's low deaths rates, put it at number 173 in the world with 5.7 deaths per thousand people.
0: Yeah, they've, they've definitely got an impressive death rate, like, especially considering like we talked about previously in one of our episodes, how malaria was very rampant in Africa. So good to see that Ethiopia is thriving. Mm -hmm. Always. Um, let's get into their environment a bit. As we said, they are a landlocked country. Agriculture is super big there. Um, and their current environmental issues they're facing are deforestation, overgrazing, soil erosion, desertification, loss of biodiversity, water so- water shortages from water-intensive farming, and poor management. <laughs> Which, hello, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why. I just not, love the, the buzz. Literally. <laughs> Um, industrial pollution and pesticides that contribute to air, water, and soil pollution—they are part of several environmental international agreements. So, they're party to the bio to biodiversity, climate change, the climate change from Kyoto Protocol, climate change Paris Agreement, comprehensive nuclear test ban, desertification, endangered species, hazardous waste, and ozone layer protection. And they've signed, but not ratified, which important distinction, guys, they mm-hmm. have signed the environmental modification, the law of the sea and the nuclear test ban, which I'm definitely side-eyeing that nuclear test ban.
1: Exactly. I mean, it. you know, it's good the countries do it when they're not looking for nuclear weapons. I think it makes it the country and the world safer in the grand scheme of things, I mean, some countries feel safer with nuclear weapons. Some countries, they say, you know what? We don't have them. There's no point in developing them. So a little good, a little good. However, well, the I'm law side-eyeing of
0: the sea, it. Sorry. I mean, why
1: not just sign the law of the sea? You really yeah, got no well, stake in the game.
0: Well, what I'm saying is like they've signed it, but they haven't ratified it. It feels like their whole heart isn't into it, which like my heart is yeah. into the nuclear test ban. And it doesn't Throw your like whole heart is. into it. Yeah. But
1: I mean- I don't know, I guess maybe one day they'll ratify it, but for now they've signed it. So, you know, progress is progress. Um, But moving into the government structure. So the the conventional long form is Ethiopia is technically the Federal Democratic Republic of Ethiopia, but also known colloquially as Ethiopia. It is a federal parliamentary republic. There are 11 ethnically based regional states and it's the oldest independent country in Africa and one of the oldest in the world. It's at least 2000 years old. It may be traced back to the Oximity Re- Kingdom, which began in the first century BC. And you know, it has a regular civil law system. It has not submitted an ICJ jurisdiction declaration and is a non-party state to the International Criminal Court. So moving into the executive branch, the chief of state, we have the president, Saleh Work Zude since October 2018. She's the first female elected to the head of state in Ethiopia and is currently the only female president in Africa.
0: Love to see it. We love to hear it. We love to see it.
1: Exactly. I mean, here we are. Progress is being made, y'all. We have the head of the government, Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed Ali, and the cabinet is essentially the council of ministers selected by the prime minister and then approved by the House of People's Representatives and elections and appointments, the president indirectly elects is elected by both chambers of parliament for a six-year term.
0: Now let's get into their legislative branch. They have they also have a, a bicameral parliament and they have the House of Federation or Yifidir Shiam Mikir Bete. And it's responsible for interpreting the constitution and federal and regional issues. And then they have the House of People's Representatives or known as the Yaziba Yez- Tewakoyuk. Again, apologies for mispronunciation if, if I did that. And they are responsible for passing legislation. Mm-hmm. And then we have the Judicial Branch, which is a federal Supreme Court consisting of 11 judges. And a fun fact, Ethio. Fun fact, Ethiopia has over 50 national level and regional level political parties, it, but the ruling party is the Prosperity Party, like we mentioned, and they have a consulate in Los Angeles and New York.
1: Mm-hmm. So their economy, it's a little different. So Ethiopia is a one-party state with a planned economy. So it's being the second most populated country in Africa, it is one of the fastest growing states among 188 imf member countries so ethiopia has the lowest level of income inequality in africa and one of the lowest in the world despite progress towards eradicating extreme poverty which you're not always seeing so it's really interesting in ethiopia's case and they remain one of the poorest countries in the world due to rapid population growth and a low starting base
0: it's a bummer Mm -hmm. i mean just income inequality is just overall bummer i think all of our hot girls can agree
1: Yes. And so the GDP, it's at $264 billion estimates in 2020. It, the GDP growth rate, however, is at nearly 11% as estimated in 2017. However, the inflation rate is also nearly 16% estimated in 2019. And still better the GDP, than Venezuela. Yeah, it's still, nice. it still way better than Venezuela. Um, I, I don't think that that's much of a benchmark to pass as long as you're under 200,000 something percent of inflation. I believe it was almost 240,000 percent inflation. So
0: I was try to find a
1: yeah. silver
0: lining for all the countries. Just like, hey, if you think you're doing bad, just remember Venezuela's inflation. Is you're doing better than Venezuela's thousands. inflation.
1: Yeah. And I mean, so you're seeing a lot of agriculture being based with the GDP and these agricultural products include maize, cereals, wheat, sorghum, milk, barley, sweet potatoes, roots and tubers, nests, sugarcane, and millet. And then you do have the unemployment rate at about 17.5%. But that was last estimated in about 2012.
0: Yeah, kind of a kind of a bitter, bit older or er, estimate, but mm-hmm. let's get into their exports and imports. So their main commodities are coffee, sesame seeds, gold, cut flowers, and zinc. And I wonder if Trader Joe's gets their flowers from Ethiopia. I mean, they might. It's something to look
1: into for sure. Yes.
0: Someone tell us if they know. Um, Their main trading partners or export partners, China at 17%, the United States at 16%, UAE or the United Arab Emirates at 8%, Saudi Arabia at 6%, South Korea and Germany, both at 5%. And then their imports are, the commodities are aircraft, gas turbines, packaged medicines, electric filament, and cars. And their main import partners are China at 27%, India at 9%, the United Arab Emirates at 9%, and France at 9% as well. And coming in last, the United Kingdom at 7%. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. And so moving into transportation. So- We've heard of Ethiopia Airlines, and there are one registered air carrier in Ethiopia with 57 airports spread out across the country. There are 659 kilometers of railway, so not a ton, but it's also not nothing. So the Ethiopian segment of the 756 kilometer Addis Ababa Djibouti railroad, that helps account for some of that. There is an electric railway with redundant power supplies However, it's under the control of Djibouti and Ethiopia, but it's managed by a Chinese contractor. So hope we talked a little bit.
0: The entire railway is part of that. Sorry, I don't know if the way you worded it, it seemed like it was some of it. That, like, the oh, entire okay. railway is all part of it, if that makes sense.
1: So the entire railway, so the 659 kilometers of railway is the entire.
0: Yeah, that's like, so that's the, Ethi- the Ethiopian segment is like, that entire thing. And it's just like that. Oh, their okay. entire thing is a segment of this bigger railway, if that makes okay.
1: sense.
0: Sorry if I worded okay. it weird.
1: No, you're good, you're good. Um, so looking at railways, there are there's the Ethiopian segment of the Addis Ababa Djibouti Railroad, which is 756 kilometers. However, the Ethiopian segment of that is 659 kilometers. And essentially what this is, it's an electric railway with redundant power supplies, and it's under the control of both Djibouti and Ethiopia. However, it's managed by a Chinese contractor. So we talked about it a little bit in our BRI episodes, but we never truly got into the nitty gritty of this rail project. So we can absolutely go into that more if y'all want to in our BRI segments, but Otherwise, moving on, we have the military and security component. There is the Ethiopian National Defense Force, the ENDF, and it's composed of ground forces. And then there's also the Ethiopian Air Force as well. You know, not a giant naval presence with Ethiopia, co- considering. So.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they only spend about 5% on their military and, you know, they don't I mean, have as much that's still a fair GDP. bit,
1: comparatively.
0: That's, that's true. <laughs> Some of their transnational issues are the border dispute from the EEBCs, that border commission we were talking about earlier, is line demarcation between Ethiopia and Eritrea. Then we have mm-hmm. Ethiopia and Somalia having some border clashes in the al fashoga area. And Ethiopia and Sudan, they have some demarcation issues stemming from Ethiopia's construction of a large dam known as the Grand Ethiopian Renaissance Dam on the Blue Nile, and that's been going on since 2011, but it's not like anything major. Just kind of a little bit of a a little bit of a wee argument, you know.
1: Mm Mhm. And so, let's go into talking about kind of the history of Italy, the occupation that we were talking about earlier. Um, Erica, do you want to kind of set the stage for how exactly did this all go down? How did this start out?
0: Yes. So this one is actually a little bit like. I don't know like scandalous i would say the italian occupation so let's let's bring it back to the 1930s so okay. as late as september of 1934 rome affirmed its 1928 treaty of friendship with ethiopia so again setting the stage yet literally a year later on october 3rd 1935 italy took its first attack on ethiopia and from eritrea and Italian Somaliland, which was a part of Somalia that Italy was occupying. Somalia had like a bunch of different colonizing countries like with their hands in the pot. Like there was Mm -hmm. British Somaliland and a few others, they will get mentioned, but how did this all start? Well, let me tell you, it started (laughs) with a well. (laughs) With a well? A well, yeah. A well. Literally a well, well, maybe multiple wells, but a well area.
1: Okay. Uh, tell me more. <laughs> tell me more.
0: Yeah. So, in 1930, Italians built a 45 position at sorry, I don't know if I said 45 or I meant to say fortified. Okay. Yeah, you move. said
1: for, you said 45.
0: I don't Anyways, in 1930, Italians built a fortified position at Wellwell, which awesome name for a well area. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I just got to say. In the Ogaden, which is like an area, you know, between it's a site of wells used by Somali nomads regularly traveling the borders between Ethiopia and British Somaliland and Italian Somaliland. And because there hadn't been like any protests when they built this fortified position, they just assumed that the international community recognized their rights over the area.
1: Which, by the way, one of the worst things you could do in international (laughs) affairs, you know, as somebody who studies this. Probably one of the worst things you could do is, hey, let's just kind of go ahead with it. And if there's no complaints, we're good. We're good. There's nothing to worry about. Wrong. There's always something to worry about. You always want to check with a couple people, a couple of important little actors around that place before you do anything crazy like that. So, you know, I can already see this being ripe for a whole contingency of issues here.
0: Yeah, I mean, like, we have to remember that, like, Mussolini was in power, and there was, mm-hmm. like, you know, world wars going on. Like, Germany was acting up a bit over in the Europe. The world already so, like, had
1: a lot going on. They really didn't need to go and start asking questions and permission about wells.
0: Well, like, totally Italy, Italy's reasoning is, like, well, they've got so many, like, bigger fish to fry. Like, I'm sure they won't mind if I just, like, take some wells. Like, mm-hmm. it's no big deal. But However, of course,
1: everybody was... always minds.
0: <laughs> yeah. In November 1934, an Anglo-Ethiopian Boundary Commission challenged the Italian position because they're like, hey, you're not supposed to be here. When they mm-hmm. were visiting Wellwell during a mission to set territorial boundary markers. And when they encountered the Italians, the boundary commission members like, they're like, nah, bro, like I'm just here to mark lines. I'm not here to fight. But they mm-hmm. did leave their Ethiopian military escort and he eventually had to fight with the Italian units present. So, Hunter, Love do you that. want to tell us what happened next?
1: Like- yeah. So then entering into September 1935, the League of Nations, back when it was still a thing, exonerated both sides of the Wellwell well incident. However, it all changed when Mussolini attacked. <laughs> Just kidding. But everything did not change, but it did kickstart a war that lasted seven months and ended with Italy announcing the annexation of Ethiopia on May 9th, 1936. So essentially, you just have Italy getting mad and is like, you know what? Fine. We're just going to take over the whole thing. Nobody can get mad at us now because now instead of just having this little well site, now we got the whole thing. So what are you going to say to us now? And so the League of Nations, they acknowledge that Italy was the aggressor. But they didn't take any action, which was one of the biggest problems of the League of Nations. We can go into this. This is a whole episode on itself, like a whole full length episode is how we, we should do an episode on it. We should. OK, you know what? Yes, we're that's our next full length. We're going to go into how the League of Nations made it right for the United Nations, because the League of Nations clearly does not exist anymore. And for good reason. Good reason. <laughs> the, the sentiment was good. However, as a scholar of this, no.
0: As they should. As they yeah. should no longer exist.
1: Exactly. And so during Italy's invasion, the League of Nations arms embargo was also not enforced, which only further exacerbated the situation in Ethiopia. And obviously, Ethiopia was extremely outmatched against Italy. You know, Italy is one of the bigger powers present in the World War. And then you have Ethiopia going up against them. Clearly not as powerful. So
0: yeah, they were definitely a whole mess having a tough time. And then their president, Haley Selassie in June, 1936, he had to flee because Italy was like, we're going to take your country like, bye-bye. And so he fled to French Somaliland in exile, which Ethiopia mem- people were not too much of a fan of, but he did come back mm-hmm. and he did speak at a league of nations conference in Geneva against Italians, illegal occupation, but Britain and France recognize Italy's control of Ethiopia, probably because they were controlling Somalia. But interestingly enough, the United States and the Soviet Union refused to, which is probably the last time that they were ever on the same side.
1: Just kidding. It was, it, I mean, <laughs> there's not much that the U.S. and the Soviet Union were really in line with. So seeing them on the same page of something, they must be like, okay, clearly like there's some stuff going on here. Like,
0: you know, it's bad when the Soviet Union and the United States agree.
1: Yeah, like, clearly y'all need to shut up and figure your stuff out, because when the Soviet Union and the U.S. were agreeing, it was kind of like, all right, you know, there's something a little bit bigger than all of us going on here.
0: Yeah, and at the same time, this was all happening. Rome was creating a constitution, bringing Ethiopia, Eritrea, and Italian Somaliland together into a single administrative unit divided into six provinces, but... Despite them saying we've got control, we've got the power, like we annex this, Ethiopian resistance would not go down without a fight. And, you know, like we said, five short years later, the Italians Mm -hmm. were booted out after some fighting, some resistance, an assassination attempt or two. But ultimately, what really turned the tides on Italian occupation in Ethiopia was Italy entering into World War II on Germany's side. In June 1940, which was a big L for Italian history, honestly. Yes.
1: (laughs) That was like one of the biggest mistakes
0: that Mm -hmm. Italy ever made. So that kind of marked the end of an era because Britain and France were, or Britain specifically was not a fan. Britain and the emperor sought to cooperate with Ethiopian and other indigenous forces in an attempt to drive Italian forces out of Ethiopia and British Somaliland, which the Italian had also taken over in August 1940. They also wanted to resist Italian invasion of Sudan. Like Italy, Mussolini was just trying to get Italy's hands everywhere.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so overall, you know, we know how the story goes in World War II. Overextension is the ultimate demise. You can't take over something so quickly and expect results to just stay there forever. When you quickly expand like that, it it's all just a house of cards. It's all gonna fall down at some point. So exactly what we saw here in Ethiopia under Italy trying to take more power and take more for themselves you know it tends to happen that way so with that though we do have a very very interesting little story for us which there's not a ton of information on and I'm shocked that there's not more information on this but we do have this one source on this issue so Erica, do you want to talk about this? Because I remember when you told me about this, I was in disbelief. Like, I just did not believe you.
0: Me too. Me too, Hunter. And honestly, that idea and the inspiration behind this entire country analysis was from TikTok because Mm -hmm. I saw TikTok and I was like, oh my God, we need to do this. And I said it to Hunter. I was like, we need to do this for our next country analysis because there's like, I can't believe this is real. (laughs) Um, And it did turn out to be real. And like Hunter said, there's like nobody like researching it. Like when it went viral on TikTok, a bunch of people like made news articles. Uh, We got this source from BBC, which is a trusted source we've used several times. But aside from a bunch of just other random articles talking about like, oh, viral TikTok on Ethiopia, like stumps Gen Zers, like there really isn't much research about this, which there absolutely needs to be. So if any of you out there are about researching, like I highly recommend this is a gap
1: like, please let us know too, because we are so curious about it. And there's just not a ton of research on it. Like Erica said, there just really is not nearly enough for us to be like, cool, awesome. I feel very good and knowledgeable about this. Like, we do have this BBC article. However, we don't have more information than that. Like, even looking through super scholarly sources, there's not a ton of information there. So
0: Yeah. And I feel like it affects so much. Like I literally, I feel like it does affect. And I know Hunter, you passed the torch to me to announce it, but I think, I think you should use your flair and just tell us about Ethiopia and what makes them unique aside from the fact that they're the only non-colonized African country.
1: So, you know what, I'm just going to read the title of this article because I don't know a single better way to just have this be spoken of. So, Obviously, we've been talking about this for the last like two minutes already, and we have not told you all what it is. So this is the title of the uh, of the article that we're talking about: Ethiopia, the country where a year lasts thirteen months. And now, like you heard that correctly when I just said that into the microphone, and when you're hearing this, whether it's through the website, whether it's through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the year in Ethiopia lasts. 13 months.
0: Just let it sink in, guys.
1: Let it sink in. (laughs) Let it sink in. So now that it's sunken in, Erica, (laughs) let's talk about it. So the Ethiopian calendar has 13 months. And so this makes Ethiopia technically about seven years and eight months behind the Western calendar, which would technically place them in the year. 2014.
0: Guys, they are living in 2014. Like, we're over here in 2022. They literally just discovered mustache. In that case,
1: that means that there was like no, they still haven't had the summer of 2016, the best (laughs) summer yet of all of Gen Z's lives. They haven't had it yet. Two years down the road, they will have this. However, until then, they're living in the great years, they're living in the much better years.
0: No, as a cusper, they are not experiencing the mustache trend. I mustache you question, or yeah. galaxy print, or Aztec print, like, or those lace shorts that every single girl had from Rue 21. Like mm-hmm. they're literally in 2014. I graduated high school in 2014.
1: Yeah, I mean, it just it, it it's mind boggling to try and think about like how the like the calendar is not standardized in every country.
0: Well, I can explain why they mm-hmm. are in 2014, Hunter. It still kind of doesn't register with me because I'm like, I wake up and I'm like, oh, April so-and-so 2022. I'm like, just getting In Ethiopia, it's like, who knows what month because they have 13 months and 2014. Mm-hmm. But Ethiopia calculates the birthday of Jesus differently. So- I guess the Catholic church made an amendment in 500 AD, which didn't know that. Um, And the Ethiopian Orthodox church just like didn't recognize it. They're like, "Mm, no, we don't believe you. We're just going to keep doing what we've been doing for like hundreds of years. So they kept their old calendar that they've been using. Didn't transfer over like most of the world did the Western calendar as we know it today. And so they have 12 months that each have 30 days. So they don't have a February with only 28 days. It always trips me up. And their 13th month only has five or six days, which like, can you imagine a month having like five days?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't,
0: I can't. <laughs> and yeah, they have six days, like depending on whether it's a leap year, but just like imagine having a, like it's like December 5th and you're like, oh, end of the month, like, Time mm-hmm. to, time yeah, starting like, new uh, month.
1: <laughs> like, oh, I was not, I was not, yeah. I that wouldn't mentally that'd be a bit of like a mind thing to go through. And I mean, with this, you also have time being counted differently. So the article says that the day is divided into two 12-hour slots that start at six, which would make both midday and midnight six o'clock in Ethiopian time.
0: Not very mid of them.
1: No. So <laughs> it's very like. Mentally it's it, it, it's hard. It, it's hard like not being used to this concept of time and date and trying to put yourself into understanding that. Like I am still having a hard time trying to process this to get it through.
0: Yeah. And like me and Hunter were saying, guys, there is no research about this. Like nobody is talking about it. And like
1: there's really not. I mean, we could find this one BBC article.
0: Yeah. And there needs to be like. Th- this has to affect something like this has to play an impact in something. I, I don't know what it might be. Maybe the way that, you know, Congress acts their house of representatives, how they pass legislation. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they do things. Probably not the same as the United States, but there's gotta be like, when you have an entire extra month, like there's gotta be some sort of difference in yeah. like, your day-to-day so- life.
1: So, I mean, thank you to Lucy Fleming who wrote this article for BBC. It honestly, like, thank you because nobody else has. So it is greatly appreciated. So Lucy Fleming, thank you so much. Keep up the great work. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's very mind boggling to try and like wrap your head around and like wrap your head around kind of like what the impacts would be. I mean, the calendar has how many big impacts on American life and American culture or European culture or the rest of African culture or Asian culture, there's so much going on that the calendar impacts. So having this completely different calendar, I feel like that would really put a lot in. Cause I mean, especially like if you're going there, if you're getting your passport stamped, like are you getting your passport stamped, you know, on a different date than it would be in another country? Yes.
0: Yeah, How does this just, work? This is a passport like you bring an excellent point, Hunter. All of which, you know, I would love to research. I would love to just get into this gap and see if it does have an effect or not.
1: hmm So I mean, I don't know. I don't know. However, fun fact with Ethiopia, Ethiopia actually had the birth of the Arabica bean. So if you're drinking coffee, if you're drinking your cute little Starbucks, your little Duncan you can thank Ethiopia. It was the birthplace of this coffee bean. So I think that kind of concludes our episode there with a bit of a mental twist at the end.
0: Yeah. It's, it's funny about that fun fact. I read it in the BBC article and I was like, this has nothing to do with the calendar, but I also heard about it at work today because it's Arab American heritage month in the United States all month long, we are recognizing Arab Americans and their contribution to our society. And so the person who's presenting was like, Hey, did you know, like coffee came from Ethiopia? And I was like, I literally had no idea. Somehow I was thinking that coffee came from Brazil. Yeah. I I mean, I,
1: yeah. Like when I think of coffee, I think of South America. I don't think of Africa.
0: Yeah. But no, it's Ethiopia. So say thank you to Ethiopia for coffee. I know I will be drinking a cup or two at least.
1: I know that I'm like the one person that does not like coffee, but I still attend my Starbucks ritual and I still get my cute little pink fruity drinks. So I will absolutely be thanking them for existing from their coffee mains. So thank you so much, Starbucks. But yes,
0: and thank you all to listening or thank you to everyone who's listening. We hope you appreciated this week's country analysis on Ethiopia. Uh, Let us know what you think about Ethiopia literally living in a different year than us. Still Mm -hmm. mind boggling. Mm -hmm. Tell us what you think on the website, on our Instagram. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And thank you so much to Hunter for joining me on today's episode.
1: Of course. Thank you so much for bringing Ethiopia here. Erica, I am so happy that we got to do another African country because I feel like it doesn't get talked about. African countries don't really get talked about enough in mainstream media, especially with you know regards to podcasting. And it always, there's always this thing of where all of these African countries just get lumped into a big block and they're so different and they're so unique. And you can't just lump them all into this big block. It's not just, oh, okay, well you have Britain and you have Ireland. And you have Denmark and Norway and they're all so different, but then you just have Africa.
0: No, literally. Africa's all the same. Be like- like,
1: It's absolutely not. And it's so much more unique than that. And you really need to give credit to all of these extremely different African countries. It's so important to do so.
0: No, you're absolutely right. 100%. And hopefully me and you can go see a country in Africa, maybe South Africa. They seem to like us over there.
1: Yes, South Africa and Nigeria, y'all are really pushing the numbers. So, thank you so much. We definitely appreciate it. But, thank you guys. But, with that, I think that that perfectly concludes our episode. So, thank you guys so much for tuning in. And we will see you on Monday for a full length episode. So, stay tuned for that. And we will see y'all on Monday. Bye. Bye.